the man in the Bible named Obed-Edom. Raise your hand. Obed-Edom. Some of you. You all know the story, right? The Ark of the Covenant is parked at his house for a while. And, of course, the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God, right? Manifest presence of God. And then when the Ark of the Covenant is moved, what does Obed-Edom do? Who remembers? He goes with it, doesn't he? Not only, in fact, if you want to do an interesting study, you get a concordance and look up the word Obed-Edom. And then look, look everywhere the, his name occurs, and you'll find out that when the Ark of the Covenant moves, he, he and his whole family move with it. And then later on, you find out who, who it is that's actually uh, taking care of the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant and the surrounding is, is always around it. You find out, as you follow that name, Obed-Edom is there. I mean, he, the presence of the Lord is something he's just got to be around. And when I, we were in the house of prayer, and I was watching Tom lead a meeting, and the Lord just dropped that in my spirit. There's Obed-Edom right there. <laughs> Tom Grossman. And his family is like Obed-Edom's family. They just want to be around the presence of the Lord, and then he just takes people with him. And let's just go, where's the Lord at? Let's just get where he's at. Let's be in his presence. So it's a great gift to have Tom, Louise, their family here. It's that spirit of Obed-Edom on them. And I just, uh, I am so grateful that God has, has brought him and his extended family and, and this anointing to add to the DNA of our church, which we have that DNA. The Lord knew we also needed some help. And so we really are so grateful for that. And I want to pray, and we're going to begin to talk about some stuff here. Father, we do thank you for the ministry of your Spirit, and we we depend totally now on you. Lord, I, I just confess before my brothers and sisters and before you, Lord, I, I don't have any confidence in my own ingenuity today, my own wisdom, my own intelligence. I just want to cast all that and say, Lord, I, I do want to just totally... Be able to speak what you want spoken here. We ask, Lord, that you would cause us to all be people to come out of this meeting who really are better equipped and anointed to minister your kingdom. We pray that none of us would miss that. And then we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would be released in greater measure even during this time and then in this evening's meeting and then as a lifestyle in our church and through our church. Lord Jesus, that's what we want. You taught us to pray the kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask to release your kingdom, your rule, that your rule come in every way. Your rule in every way, Lord, come. The sick are healed. Those that are in any bondage are set free. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Or let your kingdom come. Let your rule come in our lives where our hearts are totally yours, our thoughts. Every family member represents this room. Lord, we just ask your kingdom to come. Your kingdom rule in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. Lord, let it come. Let people see the king through it. Not see us, not see some show, but see the king. That they would see Jesus, Lord. That's our prayer. 
It's our desires. Lord, Lord, I just ask you to cleanse me, cleanse us all, Lord, from any any willful sin. Even now, would you bring it to our minds, any willful sin? Show it to us, Lord. Lord, you said in the last days people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, arrogant, boastful, ungrateful. Lord, would you just show us any sin? We just we're so quick to confess, Lord. We just want to be clean. He said, if we confess our sins to you, you'll cleanse us from all sin and all unrighteousness, Lord. So we do that. Lord, we just tell you right now, we hate it when we love ourselves so much. We hate it when we put ourselves first, Lord. We just, we just right now repent from that. We repent from it. We confess, Lord, that we, that we love pleasure sometimes more than you, Lord. We just repent from that right now. Confess it. Lord, and we confess all the times we're so ungrateful and we take so much for granted. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Cleanse us, Lord. Would you consecrate us and set us apart as as vessels that that you can release the kingdom through? And would you fill us with your spirit even as we prayed and sang? Would you, even as we, as the word goes forth and as we receive it, Lord, let it all be planted in our hearts by your spirit. It's the teaching ministry of the spirit that bears fruit, and so we ask for that. Lord, I thank you for these uh, brothers and sisters, many in this room who I've known for many years, who I love so deeply. I thank you, Lord, for all the testimonies. Even I heard yesterday from media and from the military saying this is a great church because they met the people in this church. The hospitality, the love of the people. I thank you for the people, Lord, yes. that you brought together. So what, a, what a great group. What a great uh, group of godly men and godly women who understand uh, the times in which we live and understand they were born for such a time as this. So, Lord, we ask you now that you would uh, teach us and train us, equip us, anoint us, empower us in greater measure. I pray, Lord, none of us would leave today uh, without a greater measure of anointing, true anointing from your perspective, from your vantage point, true kingdom anointing because we came here. So, Lord, I pray there be no futility in this, no emptiness, no going through the motions, no games, no positioning or somehow, you know, you know presenting ourselves. We just, we just lose sight of all that and just want to be yours today. So let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you think about how the Lord ends the, the prayer he taught us to pray. For yours is, you remember the order? Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And a lot of times I think, you know, we want the glory. We want the power, but we've got to get the order right, don't we? It's the kingdom and the power and the glory. And the kingdom is his rule, his reign in every way in our lives. And, and Tom, thank you so much for reminding us of where it all starts. It all starts with intimacy with him. And that's, that's so important. I want to talk to you a little bit about a healing and a theology of healing. And let me start by telling you a little bit of my pilgrimage, my personal pilgrimage. I am a graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary. I went there from 1980 to 84. And I have a THM in theology and but I want to tell you, in the midst of all that was going on in my life, because I, I was not trained at a seminary that taught that we should expect this. 
Uh, I mean, they would say, yeah, God can heal today, but I was never, ever taught to expect it. I was never trained to pray for it. In fact, I'll give you a, a picture of my first encounter of praying for the sick. It was 1980, and this is when we had our first cases of AIDS. And, and I was on staff of a church, 19, I was 23 years old, you know, wet behind the ears on staff. And we had someone in the church I was on staff at who had AIDS. And it was the first, no one knew what to do with this. They weren't sure if they could touch him. They weren't sure he's allowed to come to church. They weren't sure if, uh, you know, his children could come to Sunday school. I mean, it was new. It was all new. And everyone was trying to do the right thing, but a lot of people weren't sure. So we had a staff meeting about it. And during the staff meeting, it was discussed that we should go over and pray for him. And I thought, great, I'm going to learn how to do this. And so we went over, and the, I mean, the whole the whole staff, and I'm like the young guy, the youngest guy in the staff. And we and we go, and we go into his living room. He sits in a chair, and we all kind of sit in a big circle in the living room. But no one, but no one went and touched him. And the the the, the senior pastor led the meeting, and I th- and I was just thinking, I'm going to learn how to do this. And we got somebody who needs to be healed, and I'm going to learn how to do it. And so I kept my mouth shut so I could learn. And and the whole meeting, there was the we prayed for that God would prepare the family for his. This up and coming death. It was never said that way, but that's what was prayed for. And that God would give wisdom to the doctors. And that's all I remember is prayed for. But I do remember, I do distinctly remember no one ever asked God to heal him. And I thought, shouldn't we like ask that? But there was a, a theology that was basically at work there. It really was. I mean, there was a theology that was, was causing that prayer, to be, that whole meeting to take place the way it was. Because there was a theology that doesn't really expect God to heal. And if you really don't expect him to heal, then you won't ask for it, right? And you, and you also kind of, and there's also, it's a subtle thing I noticed in that theology where we don't want to put God on the spot and embarrass him. <laughs> and ask him to do something he really can't do or won't do. So... Well, I, but it was always said like this, we don't want to get their hopes up. And my response was, what's wrong with having your hopes up? <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good thing to me, have your hopes up. Well, anyway, so that was my first encounter, and and I just be, began to, to wonder, because here's what, what oh, I'd read. I'd read like uh, Matthew chapter 10. Let's just turn there. I'd read Matthew 10, where Jesus said to the twelve. This isn't, in your, this isn't in your notes yet. We're not there yet. Okay, Matthew 10, in verse 1, and it says, And having summoned his twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Okay, then let's just jump up to verse uh, seven, where he sends them out, and he says, tells them what to do. Verse seven: As you go, preach, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is at hand." 
So the kingdom of God is available. His rule is available in your life now because the king is here, Jesus. But notice verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. So there's no doubt that that was part of what he he taught the, the 12 to do and sent them out to do, right? I mean, you can't debate that, right? He, was, he taught that and sent them out to do that. Now, of course, the theology, a lot of theology would say, well, yeah, but that was, you're talking about the apostles here. I say, okay, that's, that's true. Is that the only ones he sent out to do that? Okay, so turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Now we have the sending out of you know, some 70 or 72 appointed by the Lord to go out two by two, Luke 10, verse 1. And he sent them out, and there's so much in his passage. That, you know, I don't know what he sent them out to do, but I'm just going to jump over to verse 8. And whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat what is set before you, verse 9, notice, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The kingdom is available to you now. His rule is available because the king is here. But again, he sends them out to, to heal. So now we got not just the 12, now we got the 70. And then you go to the book of Acts, and you see that it's beyond that. You see someone even like Philip, you know, who who is going out and, He's healing, so we, we see this happen. But here's what here's what hit me one day when I was I was reading a, this real familiar passage that I'd, I'd, I'd read thousands of times, but it hit me different. And I was reading the Great Commission passage, where Jesus says, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, I say, go and make disciples of all nations. Right, teaching them all." That I commanded you. And that all just jumped out one day at me. Teaching them. So he sends them out. They're to make disciples teaching them all. And I looked up that word in Greek. All. <laughs> and it means all. <laughs> and and so I thought, well, let's see. He taught the he, he taught the he sent out the 12 to heal the sick. He sent out the 70. And then he says, for, make disciples and teach them all I commanded you. And I thought, well, is that part of it? Is that part of what we're supposed to be teaching people to go do? Or do we just uh, teach them, okay, that God can forgive your sins today, and after that there's not anything you really can I'll expect? Or is that something that we ought to be teaching people? You ought to expect God to use you to heal the sick? To set people free or in their kind of bondage. Because that's part of this great commission. That's part of the ministry of the kingdom. And it's not just for a select few. It's not for the quote-unquote anointed one of the, of the church. Or the, it is for the anointed church. It's for everybody to be able to do and pursue. And so that really began uh, me on a journey of, what really is does Jesus teach about the kingdom? And we're going to get into that in just a moment. Uh, what is what is the the message he preached and the ministry that he passed on? What is, what really is the, this ministry? We'll look at that in a moment. But I'll tell you. So I, I began thinking that we're supposed to do this, 
And so I started praying for people that were sick. And and I prayed for people for about two years before I saw God heal someone. So about two years of, of, of praying and believing and expecting and nothing happening. And praying and believing and expecting and nothing happening. But I kept going back and saying, it's in the book. And so am I going to change the theology to line up with my experience, or am I going to somehow say something, something's wrong on my end and i got to line up with the Word of God? So I kept going back and saying, it's in the book. So about two years into it, God actually healed someone. I mean, it was, it was one of those situations where it was, it was dramatic and it was a healing. And, and, so, and then we had these periods of time in our church where we'd have meetings and, and we would pray for people and, and, and almost everyone who prayed for that would be touched by God in some way. And then we had meetings where I thought, if you have a cold, don't come to me. You may die. You know, so there were times where there were times where it wasn't working very good. OK, <clears throat> so I'm just telling you, I, we've been all over the map on this thing. There's just ebb, there was ebbs and flows and in, in, in of, of how the kingdom of God was working. And, and I realize now is that there's this whole invisible realm of spiritual warfare that we don't see that. That, that there's just ebbs and flows and how it work, how this battle goes and and so sometimes we'd see everything things happening. There's one time I I know that uh, I just tell you some of the stories we we've had people that you know God had healed of cancer that were going down to MD Anderson. A lot of you remember Camille Williams. God healed her. There's 14 years of, of healings where she'd go down to MD Anderson. The doctors would say you're getting better and we don't know why. You're not supposed to be getting better. And, and the guy just kept kept inter, intervening during that time. So we we had a lot of those kind of real dramatic things. And we we had we had X-rays where there's the cancer, and then X-rays where the cancer's gone, and then they're going. I guess that I guess we messed up the first X-ray. And say, so, well, I don't know what you did. We we got one that's there, and we got one that's not. And we prayed. And, and some of you have been in some of those meetings in hospitals where the hospital staff have been amazed that. That was happened because there are people that really believed and expected God to heal. But there's this kingdom ministry that I began to just uh, want to study and learn from because I really think this, our theology really matters here. And so I want us to look at a few things about what Jesus proclaimed. First of all, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4 in verse 17. In fact, later on this morning, we're, uh, Dwayne and Sharon Anders are going to drop by and just share a little bit of their story, how God healed Dwayne, and sh- sharing some of the principles on healing that uh, she learned during that time. Matthew four seventeen. Okay, right after, right when Jesus is beginning his ministry, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So his message, his message was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is, is, is available. The reason it's available because he's coming as the king and he's, he is, a, there's an all out assault against the kingdom of darkness and his kingdom is bigger and stronger and now the kingdom of God is available. It's, it's available. You can come up underneath the rule of the good king. You can because the king is here. So that's, he's preaching this message that, that the kingdom is available. But I want you also to notice something else. Staying in Matthew, I want you to go all the way to verse 20, to chapter 26, in verse 29. 
Matthew 26, verse 29. Again, this is a familiar passage. This is at the uh, Last Supper. And Jesus is saying here at the end, he said, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So now we see that the kingdom is also future. Right. So Jesus comes and he is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is available. The rule of God is available right now with him on earth. But then he also teaches that the kingdom of God is going to be future in fullness. Now, this is an important part of a theological system that you need to have, I think, to understand the Gospels, and that is simply this. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is already available right now. But it's not yet in fullness as it will be in the future. Maybe even view it this way. View that the, think about the future. For, think about the fullness of the, of the kingdom when Jesus comes and, and everything is the way he wants it as king. You know, just think about the fullness of, the, of, of the, him ruling forever and ever. Think about that. And now think about that future kingdom invading the present time. The fullness of that future kingdom invading our present time. The kingdom of God is already, through Christ, we can have, experience his rule right now. We can experience healings. We can experience deliverance and salvation. It's already here, but not yet in fullness, right? The, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a down payment. It's not, the, not full. The full thing hasn't happened. The fullness of the kingdom hasn't come. But we can taste and experience kingdom right now. Right? We can't, there's ways to experience it now, but not yet in fullness. And that's an important part of a theological system we need to have, and that is the kingdom is already, but not yet. So if we, if our system is everything is fullness now, then our system's wrong. Because it's not fullness till, till, till the Lord comes. And if our system is the kingdom's all future, then our theology is wrong. We need to have a theology of the kingdom is already, we can experience we can experience the kingdom of God in measure right now, but not in fullness yet. We're going to have a measure of release of the kingdom. We're going to have a measure. We're going to, have, we're going to see healings. But is everybody going to be healed in the future kingdom? Yes, in fullness. Right now, the kingdom can be released right now. And, and that's what we need to grab a hold of. And, and I want to see more and more of that, because I think that piece of it increases as we, closer we get to the to the return of the Lord. And and that's what I think right now, I do think raindrops are falling, but storm clouds are gathering. And even as I said that, I got a chill all up and down my body. And and this these are the days in which in which we live. And so Jesus preached that the kingdom is available. Now I want you to notice something else. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4. Verse 18, of course, this is when Jesus reads the prophet Isaiah and says, this is fulfilled right now in me. Luke 4.18, he reads Isaiah chapter 61. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recover sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So he is now going to minister the kingdom. He is going to minister his rule. And his rule is that is going to be demons are going to be cast out. Why? Because because when his rule is brought to bear, there's no more demonic rule. Because his rule is pressed against demonic rule and his rule is overcome their rule. So he cast out demons and he heals the sick. Yeah, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no one sick in heaven. He brings his kingdom to bear. People get healed, right? So, so we see him ministering the kingdom. Turn to uh, Matthew 4. 23, Matthew 4:23. Again, uh, this is a kind of a summary passage of the ministry of Jesus here. Matthew 4:23, and Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among. The people, so he is releasing the kingdom of God, releasing his kingdom, releasing his rule through healing and deliverances. Turn to Matthew twelve twenty eight. Matthew twelve twenty eight. Jesus says, "If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, which is what he was doing." Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is such a picture I want you to see. Let's say, let's say, uh, okay, I'm Jesus and Tom is demon possessed. All right, and 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 Jesus comes and casts the demons out. That means the kingdom of God's come upon you. You're no longer under the rule of those demons. You were under the rule of those demons, but now that he, the king has come and he's brought his kingdom to bear, his rule now presses against that and. The demons are cast out, and now the kingdom of God is available for you to come under the rule of the good king. And that's what he does. He, Jesus is on all-out assault against the kingdom of darkness now. Everywhere his kingdom goes, it presses against the kingdom of darkness, and his kingdom wins out. And so he is preaching that his kingdom is available, and he is illustrating it. He's ministering his kingdom. And this kingdom ministry is what I want you to understand. That ministry has been passed on. Passed on to the 12, passed on to the 70, and passed on to us. Yes. Let it be done according to our faith here. I mean, it's been passed on to us. If we don't believe it, it won't, we're not going to do it, right? It's, it's going to require faith. But this kingdom has been passed on to us. This kingdom that is already but not yet in fullness. It's not yet fully come. But that future kingdom that's in fullness wants to invade the present time. And that's part of our ministry of kingdom. We preach the, the gospel of the kingdom, but we also want to see people delivered and healed and set free. And so this ministry is passed on. Let me just explain how this ministry works a little bit. This is in your notes. But at the cross, Jesus broke. I mean, he, he, at the cross, there's a victory over sin, over the devil, over death, Right? I mean, the grave has been defeated at the cross. The devil's been defeated at the cross. The power, that power, that dominion of sin is broken through the cross. We know that, right? Okay, but at the cross, all that was done. So, because of the cross of Christ, I am set free from the dominion of darkness. 
and from sin, right? I'm set free from sin, but I'm still dealing with temptation every day. And I'm not going to be totally removed from the presence of sin till I'll go into his, the Lord's presence, right? So even though at the cross, uh, the power of sin has been broken through his, his substitutionary atonement for me. And so, so at the cross, that's been done. So that tr- that's the truth. But yet, I'm not removed from the presence of sin until I come to the presence of the Lord. In the meantime, there's sanctification. I have to discipline myself, and I have to fight spiritual warfare to walk in holiness. And I grow through that process right now. Y'all see that? Okay, let's, let's take the devil for a minute. At the cross, is the devil defeated? Clearly, he's defeated. You know, we, we know that from Hebrews chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 13, 14, 15. We know that from First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. The devil's defeated at the cross. So at the cross, the devil's defeated. Is the devil abolished yet? No, he's abolished when? When he's thrown in the lake of fire, right? In the meantime, do we fight the devil? We fight him right now, right? We fight him, spiritual warfare, we're fighting him right now during this lifetime. So even though at the cross he's defeated, he's not yet abolished. In the meantime, we have spiritual warfare. So we see how that works with sin. We see how that works with the devil. How does it work with healing? At the cross, by his stripes, are we healed? Then the cross, doesn't that bring healing? Yet, the fullness of healing is not till when? Till, till we're in his presence, right? In the meantime, how do we get healings? Spiritual warfare. The same way we fight the devil, the same way we fight sin, it's the same way we get healings. That's why, for just, just for people just to say the statement, by his stripes we're healed, to me, is, is what, it's not a magic, that's not some magic statement. That's true. At the cross, that's where the power for healing is. But how are we going to get it? We're going to get it by the words and works of Jesus. We're going to get it by spiritual warfare. We're going to get it by faith and persistent prayer and, and fasting and all that. That's how it's going to be released. Yes, at the cross is where healing is when, that's where the power for healing comes. But how is it released right now? It's going to be released through us praying in faith persistently and fasting and so forth and all those kinds of things. And so that's an important piece for us. Because I've, I've been in meetings where people just say, by his stripes you're healed. And I'm like, to me that's kind of like saying, you know, car be washed. <laughs> you know, shirt be ironed. Bed be made. I mean, that, it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. I mean, we, unless if you're releasing faith at that point and you're saying that you understand the power of the cross, that's where healing comes from, that's great. But then what are you going to do? you still got to pray. You still need to minister. You still need to hear what the Lord wants done through words and knowledge and how the Holy Spirit wants to work. you still got to walk that out. I just want you to understand that. Just like you walked out your sanctification, just like you walk out spiritual warfare, we've got to walk out the healing with our prayers. Is everyone tracking this? Okay, so... So I think it's important that we're on the same theological page because I've been in healing meetings where someone will walk in that has a whole different theology, and they're just they say that statement and look at us like well, you know you guys just don't know what you're doing, you know. By, it's by His stripes you're healed, and we just say it, and they got to believe it, and, and let's get on down the road. And I'm like, wait a second, there's a battle to fight fight right here, 
And we need to fight this battle with our prayers, and, and, and that might involve some fasting, and we need to persist, and we need to see, you know, maybe there's something God needs to reveal so they can confess it. There's some sin holding back their healings. All kinds of things in this, in this warfare we need to pay attention to. Okay, so this is a, a sort of kingdom ministry already, but not yet kingdom of God. God wants, that future kingdom wants to invade the present time. And, and I think God, it's important that we understand that's part of the mission. And God, does, it's not that just God can heal, God wants to heal. And God likes to heal. And that needs to be part of our perspective. All right, let's look at the next thing in your notes there. Healing ministry requires a right understanding how God works. Uh, some of you are, are familiar with this, but I just need to go over it quickly, because if we don't have this in our theology, we will get disillusioned. God works, doesn't always work the same way. In the Bible, we see that he works three different ways. Sometimes God works through intervention. This is the parting of the Red Sea kind of way God works. This is where you just cry out and God just comes and does it all. That's that instantaneous healing. That's the intervention. Now, if our theology is only intervention that we will, we will be disillusioned. It's just a matter of time. You will get knocked off your healing horse. If that's your only theological uh, perspective, if that's all you've got, and that's not all the Bible teaches, but that's all you have, you will be disillusioned. And I tell you, I have seen so many people disillusioned because that was their theology. I prayed and God didn't do it. So I went, well, what's the point? What's the point in praying? I don't pray anymore. Okay, but intervention is one of the ways that God does work, and we and we we ask for that, we pursue that. All right, the second way that God works sometimes God works through uh, interaction. Interaction, the best way for us to understand it, I think, is the agricultural illustration, like the farmer. The farmer must do his part, and God must do his part for there to be a crop. Right? That's interaction. So there, so God, is, you know, if the farmer doesn't do what he's supposed to do. There is no crop. And if God doesn't do what he's supposed to do, there is no crop. If a farmer does his part, God does his part. Sometimes God heals through interaction. And I, I think that modern medicine fits in here. I've never taught that medicine is of the devil. I don't believe the devil will do anything to make us feel better. And so I, I, we encourage, we got, we got lots of doctors and nurses in this church. And, and they pray before they, when they pray about God using them, and so God can can use that. So that's that's part of our theology. Is we're not our view is not. And there are some in the in Christendom who believe that, that that that's of the devil. Now we shouldn't trust in doctors. Our trust needs to be in the Lord. But we can they can use God can use doctors instrumentally, and so interaction is one of the ways that God works. And finally, another way that God works is through what we're going to call intervention. In other words, intervention. The idea here is is that God doesn't change the circumstances, but changes you in the midst of the circumstances and gives you the grace to go through it for, again, a temporary time, because ultimately we're all going to be healed totally. But through a, through a, for a brief period of time, and of course the illustration there is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh. We don't know for sure what that is, but it was some ailment that he asked God three times to remove and when he asked God three times to remove it, it was probably a passionate, faith-filled prayer that involved other people, probably involved fasting and crying out to the Lord and asking God to remove this thorn in the flesh. And that was one prayer. And then he probably, they probably went at it again. When he said three times, he's not talking about remove it, remove it, remove it. I mean, he's talking about, they're, they're talking about really going after it. And three times, and God finally said, he's not going to do it. I'm not removing this one. 
uh, because of the great revelation you received in order to keep you humble. I'm not going to rule, but my grace is going to be sufficient for you. I'm going to give you the grace to go through it. Now, if we don't have that part of our theology, uh, again, we're going to be disillusioned because sometimes that God does that. He, he, he doesn't change the circumstances. He gives you the grace to go through it. But I always, I mean, I, I always start with number one, intervention. Pray like crazy. God, would you just heal him? It just seems to me that that's the way you get the most glory, so that's what I ask for. Right now, just, you know, skip all the medicine stuff and just do it, Lord. That's how we start. We pursue that with all we can, uh, but we're not adverse to, to someone seeing a doctor or using uh, medications, interaction. And then I do believe when it comes to intervention, someone says, well, how do you know when God's, God's not going to heal you and, and he's given you just the grace to go through something? And I, I think you, you know when he tells you. I mean, Paul knew when he told him, right? But the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. So I tell people, persist, 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 persist in healing. Because we're going to see in a moment, persistence is key. But if the Lord tells you, no, I'm not going to, I'm, he, he speaks to you and you have that confidence. He says, and he says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And this one, I'm going to give you the grace to go through it without changing your circumstances. But until then, don't stop. I mean, it, I've had people, one thing we discovered, if a lot of times people come for the elders to pray or for prayer teams to pray for them. I remember back in the uh, mid-80s when God was doing a lot of healings in the vineyard, John Wimber talked about the fact that they, they saw one out of ten people get healed if they're prayed for once, but they saw seven out of ten people prayed, uh, healed if they're prayed for more than ten times. So persistence, really, they really discovered as they logged this that persistence makes a big difference. And what I've found is the prayer teams are willing to persist a lot, of, but the people feel bad about keep coming and asking. And I'm saying, just keep coming, just keep coming for prayer, just keep asking, asking, and asking. And and then, but if if the Lord one day just you feel like says to you something different than that, my grace is sufficient, then go with that. But until then, let's just persist and ask God to heal. So these, there are three, there are different ways that God works, but let's always let's pursue. Him uh, do an intervention and, and then go from there. All right, next one is a healing ministry requires faith. First of all, if you don't have faith, you're not going to really pray, right? Not, not I mean, really pray. You know what I'm saying, right? Not just mutter some words that, you know, drop down and crash on the ground or bounce off the ceiling, but really pray. You're not going to do that kind of praying unless you really believe. So faith is key to that, but also faith is key to praying persistently. Both Luke 11 and Luke 18, Jesus only tells two parables on prayer. He tells all the parables he tells, he tells two on prayer, and they both have the same point. That persistent prayer is what makes a difference. Right? In one story you have, obviously, you have the, uh, the, the friend who comes and wants the loaves of bread in the middle of the night. You all remember that story? And he's like, you know, I can't get up and do that. But he won't. But he keeps banging on the door. And finally, okay, all right, here it is. Then you have the persistent widow, who even an unrighteous judge will give her what he wants because she's wearing him out. And how much more will God, who is righteous, respond to persistence? So persistence matters, and 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 you won't. But you won't persist without faith. You'll give up. So again, faith is key. We remember that Jesus says at different times, let it be done according to your faith. Faith does matter big time. 
that we that we believe God. We're expecting things. I don't. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for someone that were, for healing, and and then I say to him at the end of that prayer, "Now, if God doesn't do this uh, tomorrow, this week, or whatever, then you and I should be the two two most surprised people on planet Earth, right?" Shouldn't we? I mean, we're praying expecting, so if it doesn't happen, we should be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised because it did happen. We should be surprised if it doesn't happen. We should approach it with that kind of faith. When Jesus says, pray believing that you received, that's pretty, that's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? And so there's a sense of which, you know, and we're not talking about just psyching yourself up. You know, I, before a prayer meeting, uh, I read the red a lot. Y'all know what I mean? Read the red. I just because faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ. And I just I'll just uh, if I can spend time reading the red, I'm, I'm ready to go after it. And also sometimes even during a prayer meeting, you have people on a team. It's good to have teams because, it, you know, I might be full of faith. And about an hour into it, I'm kind of waning and someone else needs to take over and be full of faith. And maybe I need to go over here and read some more red, you know, and, and pray some more so I can have faith. But real faith expects God to do something. It's key. And, guys, again, I'll tell you, I've, I have been knocked off my healing horse uh, on several occasions. I get back on it eventually. But I've had, I've had dead children in my hands, my arms. Uh, I'm like 0 for 6 for raising the dead. But I want to keep trying. You know, I've, I've seen God heal and I've seen God not heal. I've had times where I've been uh, really just... Uh, had to go drive into the woods for a few hours and yell. Y'all ever done any of those kind of times with God? You got to try it. It's really good for you. And God doesn't even mind. He already knows what you think about it. All your boss will just let it all out. But get back on the horse because it's in the Word. You know, there's, there's, we're, and I'll get more into this a little later. Okay, so it requires faith. Let's go on. Another thing, number four, a healing ministry requires the manifest presence of God. Let's look at Luke 5.17 for a moment. Luke 5.17 is one of those verses that you kind of scratch your head when you first time you read it for sure. Luke 5.17. And it came about one day that he, Jesus, was teaching and there were some Pharisees, and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And notice this next phrase. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. Isn't that interesting? And the power of the Lord is present for him to perform healing. Because you're thinking, why do, why do, they, why do you point that out? Were there times when... It was different than that? Didn't Jesus say you know, he would have done much more if, but because of their unbelief? And, but there's, but something, there's something about the manifest presence of the Lord was there for healing. Well, here's some of the things that I think work against the manifest presence of the Lord. First, idolatry. Turn to Psalm 74. Let's just look at one of these. Psalm 74. Psalm 74, 9 through 11. It says, We do not see our signs 
There's no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. How long, O God, will the adversary revile, the enemy spurn your name forever? Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand, from within your bosom, destroy them? I mean, it's because of their idolatry. God had his, his manifest presence was removed, and they're like, "We're not seeing the miracles. We're not. Where's the prophets?" Now, they, but they, what they didn't do is come up with the theology that 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 that, that took care of that. You know what I'm saying? They didn't come up with the theology that says, "Well, there's not any more miracles, and there aren't any prophets." What they did is they came, they realized it must be us. See, there's a whole theological system that is set up to line up with people's experiences as opposed to saying, my experience is not lining up with the word. What's wrong with me? And that's what they did. They said, Lord, what's wrong? How come there's not miracles? How come there's not prophets? And and so it was their idolatry, and and God does confront them with that. Idolatry removes his presence. I tell you, there's there's just... A lot of times you're in meetings where that's it's just people have all kinds of other gods. You remember Joshua when he drew the line in the sand and said, "As for me and my house, I'll serve the Lord." And he tells he tells them to put away their idols because what they had is they said we had they had their gods and they wanted the Lord God. He's one of them. I mean, he's he might even been number one, but they still had their idols. And he said, "No, you got to decide today." You got, you got to, it's, it's, you're going to serve the Lord. You got to get rid of all the idols. You got to get rid of all of them. And that's a big thing, you know. I think that hinders. I think it just hinders the power of God in American church because I, th- I think we got. I think we have lots of idols. And it's important that that's that's, that's talked about. And there's times of repentance for that and removing idols. And I was I was talking to some guys earlier about. The services we had here yesterday for a fallen Marine soldier, Jeremy Smith, and and it, and it really was there. Really was I thought I, I really felt a a real oppression working against a real oppression during that service to preach the gospel. And a nationalism can be an idol. Now, I love this country, but nationalism can be an idol. Patriotism it really can be. I've been in meetings, the meetings I've been in that are highly patriotic, sometimes it's really hard for, pe- for people to, you know, for there to be a, a, a real sense of, you know, wait a second, we have one God. Again, I'm speaking as one who loves this country, understand this. But at the same time, I'm telling you, I, the meetings I'm in when I'm trying to preach the gospel, where, there's, where, it's, where nationalism is high, it's, it's hard to work against. It just is. Ritualism also removes his presence. Ritualism, again, is just going through the motions. Uh, in Isaiah 58, you can read that on your own. I'm not going to take the time. They're, they're wondering why God's not coming through. And he basically rebukes them for, for their fact that they really weren't living with justice and mercy. They're just going through the motions of ritualism, and he called them repentance. So going through the motions of ritualism. True worshipers have his presence. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Let me say one thing about the importance of words and knowledge. The importance of the prophetic when you're praying for the sick. I think anyone who's going to pray effectively for the sick, we need to know how to hear the voice of God. 
We need to ask God to give us ears to hear his voice, to know what the spirit wants to do. And, and, and how that works, just, just begin to ask him to do that. If you've not experienced that, ask him to do it more if you have. But my experience is real, is, it's, it's real simple. It, it comes to me as an impression, just simply an impression. But it's a little bit like uh, trying to take a, a ball filled with air and push it under the water in the swimming pool, and it keeps popping up. So it's an impression that if I push it down, it keeps coming up. And I've just learned to go with the impression. And most of the time it's right. And, you know, if it's, 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 uh, I don't say thus say it the Lord. I, I feel like if it's the Lord, it'll carry its own authority. And I just say it occurs to me. Or, or is, it, is this, is this something that's true? And I'll just say it. Or I'll pray it. But it's important to have, to hear the Lord because what is the Lord doing in this person's life? I remember praying for a lady one time that was uh, bent over with arthritis. And it just was clear to me that, that there's someone she hated. And I thought it was her mother. It just occurred to me. So I asked her, I said, Do you, is there someone you hate? And she just kind of looked at me and she said, yes, I do. I hate my mother. So why don't we just, let's go ahead and you need to understand, you got to forgive her. I, I can pray till the cows come home. And if you don't forgive your mother, nothing's going to happen here. And so that's, so then you, you, you take that direction in your prayer time. And so words of knowledge are important. God will uh, release, you know, release what those to you. It's good to be in a team too, because a lot of times uh, if you have three people praying for someone, a lot of times two people will get the same sense and you can confirm with each other. Uh, sometimes we just say, you, you, know, you look at each other and go, well, you getting anything? You know? And then they'll say something like, I got something I thought was kind of nutty. And they'll say, I say, what was it? Well, I got the same nutty thing. Maybe it's not so nutty. Let's go ahead and pursue it. Okay, a healing ministry requires compassion. And Tom really touched on this already. But you can look at these, these passages right here. And every one of these passages talk about Jesus feeling compassion. So he felt compassion then he fed the 5,000. He felt compassion, so he raised uh, uh, the woman's son from the dead. He felt compassion, so he healed the sick. So he, he feels something, he's moved, and then he, and then he works. And here's my question, and that is, does he still feel compassion? Does he not feel compassion anymore? Or does he? And so I want to try to enter into this compassion. It's so... And I think it's an important part of praying for the sick guys, and that is really trying to enter into the person's pain. You know, not just, it's not something you're totally uninvolved with and connected with. You really want to enter into the, with compassion. You want to say, Lord, help me feel something here. And it will help you pray. And help you pray with faith. But I think ministry to the sick requires compassion. Okay, a healing ministry also take, takes risk. It was uh, early on in our church. We were still pretty small, and and so we had we had one service, and the service went for like three hours. You know, we just kind of sang until the Lord showed up. You know, and then we'd do whatever we felt like He's doing. It was great. I missed a lot of that, but the one time we had a guy. 
he just we said, well, let's anyone have any prayer requests? And one of the men, in fact, some of you might remember Marty Weeder. Marty Weeder just raised his hand and said, I have these migraine headaches. I can't even function. I mean, I can't even function. They're so bad. So this is during Sunday morning, right? We've got maybe, I don't know, 50 people or 70 or whatever. And so Jerry uh, Bates, one of our elders, says, uh, can I pray for you? And this is the first time it happened when we're Sunday morning service. So, and, and, and that normally is say, you know, to be safe, go ahead and offer a prayer, and we're not going to ask you if you feel any better. You know, we just want to, we want to go on with the meeting, and because we, we don't want to risk that you might say no. But Jerry says, can I come over and lay hands on you? So this is Sunday morning. So Jerry walks all the way across the room. Now I got visitors a little nervous because, uh-oh, he's walking here. Now God's on the spot, right? Lays hands on him. And we're, we're all praying and finishes. And Jerry says, so how are you feeling? And Marty says, it's gone. It just, it's gone now. And he never had, to my knowledge, he never had another one. I know, I know he didn't for years, and I hadn't seen him in a while, but, and so it was just one of those times you said, okay, we asked, we did it, but there's, there's a sense of risk. I mean, we'll go ahead and, and do it right here in front of everybody, and not to put on a show, but because it was asked right there. And if, if you don't, if you're not willing to take a risk, you won't really see much happen. And when I say take a risk, even just walking across the room sometimes, because people are always worried about how appearances are, right? Uh, I have all these stories rushing in my mind. I'm trying to decide if I should tell them or not. But uh, uh, okay, I'll tell it to you this way. I'm being sensitive because there's there's people involved here that, that. might know who this is, and I really don't want to, I don't like to tell stories that might embarrass someone. But there was, there was someone we were praying for, and we actually, during the prayer time, it, someone came to me with a word about why they were in that condition. And it was, it was a thing that would be, would be very embarrassing. I mean, why they got, why they're in that condition. I mean, it was, a, it, was, it was a sinful thing that was done that caused all this, but it was never confessed. But he, someone came and said, the Lord just showed me this. I said, all right, you're released from that now. I'll take her from here, you know. And I just went privately to the person. I didn't, I didn't do it in front of anybody. Because, again, treat others like you want to be treated. But I went privately to the person, and I said, I just got to ask you about this. And when I did, they just started. They just boo-hooing because it was true. And that's what we got. That's where we got to start. We got to deal with that, and uh, before we can get anywhere else. And so here was there was a prayer meeting, and we just in which if we had people around this particular person, and then there's a word, and this and it, this needed to be handled differently at that point in order to do it in love, right? It wouldn't have been loving to just have blurted something out, right? It would be embarrassing. I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. So let's not do that to someone else. And so we said, okay, let's just stop right now and at this point and wrap it up, Lord. And we ask you to continue to guide us, Lord, and don't say anything to anybody else. And then privately, 
deal with it. And that's what was done. And that's, that's really key to making progress. All right, let's go to the next one. Number seven, the healing ministry treats others like you want to be treated. I think we covered that a little bit. And Wayne's also going to talk some about that in just a moment. Number eight, a healing ministry yields to God's sovereignty. God's ways are not our ways. God's timing is not our, always our timing. And timing is something we've got to watch out for. I mean, I've seen this I've seen it a lot of times. I can remember two times in a row where uh, a couple, I know some couple of people that had these horrible rashes. They've been to doctors months and all kinds of ointments and nothing's working. And, and so we lay hands on them. Of course, you're looking right at the rash, right? And we're praying for God to heal, and then we're looking for seeing the rash still. And the next, in both those times, the next morning they, they called me and said, I woke up, my rash is gone. I've had it for months, nothing worked. We prayed that night. Next morning I woke up, and it was all gone. And two different people. And, I, and so the timing, God just had a different timing. Why? I don't know. But we'll take it, right? Okay. Uh, a healing ministry destroys the works of the devil. Important point here, every sickness is not caused by demons, but some are. Some, some are, obviously, in, this, in Luke 13, she was bent over. This woman was bent over. It was, it was, it was connected to a spirit, and the spirit was cast out. Sometimes it is connected to, to spirits, but sometimes Jesus doesn't address any spirits. He just brings healing. So I think we need to have in our theology... The fact that some illnesses, some are connected to demonic spirits. And we ask God to show us that. They don't have a theology that always every one of them is a spirit. I think that theology uh, is, is just not does not line up with what we read in the Gospels. Okay, uh, number 10, a healing ministry glorifies God. God needs to be the one to get the glory. God really does not share his glory with anyone. Y'all, y'all know that? He will not share his glory with any man or any woman. And so if we're going to get glory out of this, it's probably not going to happen. So we need to be people. We need to trust God, but we need to be people that God can entrust with power. And it's brokenness will be part of that, by the way. How many of you guys know that one? Part of God's curriculum is brokenness. And the more broke we are, the more he can trust us, because the more we're not going to touch his glory. So brokenness is a good thing. I would have never voted for it, but God didn't ask me for my vote. <laughs> Number 11, the healing ministry authenticates God's messenger. We see this. Jesus talked about the works. He said, don't believe in me, believe in the works. I mean, in other words, they're authenticating him. A healing ministry opens doors for evangelism. We see this in the book of Acts. This is, I think, uh, particularly on the uh, and everywhere, but particularly on the front lines where the gospel hasn't gone. Uh, I pray that more and more missionaries would would just step out and risk it. Just step out and just risk it. Just ask. How many have heard the name Ralph? Bethea, have you all heard of his name? He's a Baptist missionary, mission, ministering to Muslim people for many, many years, tried all kinds of things, tells a story. It's an amazing story. He's just trying to get anyone to listen to him. He stood on a bridge one time preaching to people, and no one would listen to him, so he jumped off the bridge. <laughs> and he broke three ribs, 
And he's down there, and he's swimming to the side, and they all run down there. And he's thinking, great, I got an audience. And I run down there and say, are you crazy? We don't want to listen to anything you have to say. So he thought, well, man, that's not a good approach. <clears throat> and he tells a story of a lady who brought a crippled girl to him. He was standing outside of a mosque and brought a crippled girl to him. And the, and he he tells us a story of, he just said, he said, Lord, here, right here, you, you can do this. You can heal her, and the gospel will break out here if you would just heal her. And, and the woman hands the little girl to him, and her legs are just limp. They've never, ever walked. They just dangle. And he holds this girl, and he cries out to God, and, and nothing happens. And, he's, and now a crowd is gathering. He's crying out to God, and nothing happens. And finally, he hands the girl back to the mother. And she starts to walk off with a girl looking over her shoulders. And he says, as I looked into those eyes, he said, I just, I saw, I saw the lost Muslim world. And I thought, God, how come you won't heal this girl? And as she's walking off, the girl starts to wiggle in her mom's arms. She starts to squirm. And God heals her. The mother puts her down and she walks. And his story, his story is fabulous because the gospel breaks out in, in great power. And uh, hundreds and even thousands Muslims come to Christ over a period of time after that. Ralph Bethea, you might Google him and see if his stories. I used to have the tape, and I, I used to play the story because it's so fabulous. He came to, to the, uh, the Tarrant County Baptist Men's Fish Fry. <laughs> Told the story. So you got the fish while you heard it. Pretty good deal. But, uh, but I think Bethea, uh, I think it's B-E-T-H-E-A, I think. But the reason I tell you that story is because what if he would have never taken the risk, right? That would have been an easy thing not to try. But he did. I mean, and you got people watching and all that, and then it happened. So he was he was shaking up a lot of the theological structures of the Baptist <laughs> seminary over there as he's telling the story. What are you going to do with that one, you know? Well, maybe God does that. So it definitely opened the door of evangelism. All right, number 13, a healing ministry is perplexing. The Apostle Paul in Acts 28, I mean, everyone that came to him at that time got healed. And then other times he leaves... Uh, Epaphroditus, that's who it is, isn't it? Leaves him sick behind. He tells Timothy, take a little wine for his stomach. He has constant ailments. I think because Timothy was a pastor, he had had constant (laughs) stomach problems. (laughs) But it was perplexing. And Paul says, remember what he says? He says, always perplexed but never despairing. Y'all remember that statement? That's a good statement having your theology, by the way. Perplexed, but never despairing. I'm not quitting. I'm giving up. Are you perplexed? Oh, man, I got a list. I got a long list of things I don't understand. Are you quitting? No, I'm not going to quit. So you're, you're, we're going to be perplexed at times. I used to have a lot more answers 20 years ago than I have today. I have less than 20 more years, one above. <laughs> And but, you know, 
it's okay to be perplexed. We don't try to unscrew the inscrutable. There's things we don't understand. Why did Paul finally say, oh, you know, the, the, the mysteries, the, the, who can fathom the mysteries of God? So it's, there's a lot we don't understand. So have that, have some room for that. Don't be disillusioned. Be willing to say, you know, I don't understand it yet, but I do still believe. And let's just stay the course. What we're going to do now is, uh, look at the time here. Why don't we do this? Why don't we have Wayne, why don't you come? Okay, let's do this. Let's take a let's take a break. Y'all want a break? Let's do a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about steps to healing, and then we're going to also have some ministry time and some more sharing, and then we'll go from there. So we're we're shooting for one o'clock here, guys. But let's take ten minutes.